Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about our live stream church services, the Walk in Truth podcast, and how to find us on social media when you visit walkintruth.com. Hey, I'm Mike Massaro, and we recently did a live streamed version of one of our free 633 events. And the following is what took place at that event. So here's part two of Pastor Michael with guest professors and myself at the event called Navigating the Times. I know there was some talk before um, before we, we, we started tonight about whether or not we're going to wade into something that might come across or is, you know, pretty obvious on its face, political. And... Like you said, we're living in this world. We're as Christians, we're not we're not living in a bubble, um, and so it is a part of our lives. So while we might not want to make something into a political, um, uh, you know, point of view, it's it's got to be, you know, at least mentioned um, because we're just living uh, in this world that we live in. So the question number two that we're I'm going to ask right now is. Why didn't the church invoke its First Amendment rights uh, by remaining open during the pandemic? And uh, scripturally, did the church leaders forsake the assembling of the believers like it talks about in Hebrews 10.25? And is attending church essential? Those are really good questions. You guys want... No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, five minutes, guys. <laughs> well, let me just say, and, and I, can, I can start with this one, is because it was asked about the church leaders... So when this first started, uh, and, and I mentioned, if you want a reference, if you haven't heard me speak on this topic, I dealt with this not this morning, but a week ago on a Sunday morning. And I used the word tension for a reason, because there are some biblical tensions about government and our submission to government and even scriptures like Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, which is really have been at the center of this debate and the church's response. And I'm going to throw that word tension out there to tell you that we were, uh, we were looking at things in tension. For example, if you have a plague that's extremely dangerous to people and by opening the doors and uh, comments were being made as, you know, information was flying in every direction and you're seeing... Uh, footage of ERs where people are on ventilators and they're dying and there's body bags. And so, you know, everybody, I think every citizen of the U.S. that I can think of at that moment probably uh, just did this because they wanted, they went into protection mode. There was so much mystery about uh, what we were dealing with with the virus. And so, you know, our, one of our greatest uh, commands by the Lord is to tend his people, to tend his sheep. So that's at least the first part of my answer. Right. I, so I want to talk more about some, some general principles here of maybe the role of the church vis-a-vis the government. And, um, you know, a couple other passages that have been, have been getting a lot of attention the last eight weeks are Romans chapter 13, the beginning of Romans 13, and then First Peter 2, which talk about this, uh, the church is uh, be, having to be not just respectful, but almost subservient to the government. Um, lest we do evil. Now, uh, one thing that I think does need to get pointed out is that uh, the governmental structures of the time of Peter and Paul are, were quite different from today. And we're talking about Imperial Rome, probably with the Emperor Caesar Nero at the time of mm-hmm. the writing of those epistles, who, if anybody's just watched a few movies about ancient Rome or read a few books, knows this was not a very 
This was anything but a godly man. I mean, he would, not even in the eyes of pagans was this man uh, in any way moral or decent. So in one sense, Peter and Paul, I mean, um, it's admirable, right? I mean, they have this horrible person in charge. They have to rely on God's providence, that this is ordained by God, and we will do what we can under those circumstances. Because Romans 3.8 also says, we can do no evil so that some greater good come. We can't do evil because Christianity has always recognized that there are things that are intrinsically evil. Mm-hmm. And you can't do an evil so that you get some greater good. And what's, but now, what has changed from the first... The only option, other option for Paul, Peter and Paul then was violent insurrection. Well, that's been precluded from their pool of options because they've seen the king of glory go to his death in order to defeat Satan, the king mm-hmm. of this world, or the ruler of this world. So there's no violent rebellion. The only option is to be subservient and hope that their Christian character from within will change the structures of the times. And yet, Tony, we would say that Peter and John do take a stand when they're told not to preach the gospel, right? Right. When there's, all, when there's outright direct, right. you can't preach the gospel. They do take the stand. Yes. Now, what has happened, though, in the last 1900 years is... What, the, what Peter and Paul did in showing, in showing Christ to that world, Christianity has won out. Now we have participatory government. Yes. I mean, we have a government that we, we, don't, we can change. We can actually affect it in certainly not, in, we don't need to use violence to do so. So I think when we ask the question, who is the church? We ask two questions. Who is the church and who is the government? It's the same answer for us today. We are. Mm-hmm. We are the church, and we are citizens of the nation. We are the government. So that sort of changes the context for us today in looking at those passages. So when we come to the First Amendment of the Constitution, which is to govern our land, this is where the questioner is saying, well, did we, did we uh, kind of punt right. You know, when we should have been meeting? And, and my answer is, well, we were... We're holding some things in tension. That is the greater good because we didn't have a lot of information we about what was respectful happening. We're respectful of our and elected yes. who are elected by us. Yes. And they probably had more knowledge than we did, so we respected that. But then there's times to voice, peacefully voice dissension as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, o- otherwise, you know, we could wind up with injustice on our hands. And we are called to fight injustice as the church as well, not just for our own sake so we can worship on Sunday, but for the sake of the broader culture as well. Now, I know Jacob and Jim both want to chime I in. I think, first of all, we need to recognize uh, and acknowledge God's sovereignty. That's important. We need to also understand in light of Romans 13 that God is the one who establishes authorities for a purpose, for a task that they are supposed and required to abide by. If they violate that, uh, church has a mandate given. If we take this example of, but before I get into that, uh, if you see When we talk about the separation of church and state, what we do is actually we don't understand the governing structure that God has established. Throughout the scripture, when we read, we find that there are three kinds of government, right? We have family, governance in the family, we have in the church, the body, church body, and then we have the civil government. And all three are in a way balanced in the sense that when we talk about the separation of church and state, we we should not assume that it means any separation between God and church and God and state. Right? God is still having authority over the established uh, magistrates that are there. 
That's why we need to also understand the very doctrine of the lesser magistrates who are rising up now when they're realizing when the authorities don't submit to the laws of Lord, um, which, are, which are meant for the justice and flourishing of people, right? There is a mandate to rise up and make your voice known. And one distinction I would love to make is that throughout the scripture, if we see, there is a distinction maintained between when we talk about church, we emphasize on covenant. When we talk about state, it's contract. So we don't actually work as subjects of the state. We work as citizens of the nation. There's a huge difference there. And I think if we maintain that, we could have a, a good understanding on issues like this. And even this so-called separation between church and state was a letter uh, by Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist Association assuring them that the state wouldn't dictate how they were going to worship. Yes. And so that, that's a misnomer. That's not in the First yeah. Amendment. That's not in the, in the right. Constitution. But the state wouldn't force you to be Anglican, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so yeah. suppression in the manner that I don't want the state to come and tell me tomorrow how to worship the Lord. Right. There has to be some sort of separation that needs to be maintained. Likewise, the, the church is not going to inform all aspects of the state. We have to give the state some freedom in terms of taking certain actions that is required in a society that we live in, a pluralistic society that we live in. So that distinction is maintained. Having said that, God remains sovereign over both structures. Paul reminds us in Romans very much that though we have these structures, the directions might be only two. One is towards God or the other is against God. Mm -hmm. And as church, as Christians, we should be vigilant in knowing where are these structures heading and direct them for the glory of God. And we should be voting our biblical values. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. Exactly. Well, I wanted to bring up a couple other things. First of all, I want to agree with everything that's been said. But first of all, what they say here in their question is they quote um, Hebrews 10.25. And what does it mean to be faithful to your assembly? There's multiple aspects of that. But what is a church? I've heard a lot of times... The church can be considered a lot of many churches within the church, the small group. Like, even during this, this event, I've been still meeting with my small group. Even one couple that um, came to our home, you know, more than six feet away, we had that virtual fellowship, but we're doing that online fellowship on that regular basis. So maybe we're having to struggle a little bit with different ways that we can create community. I firmly believe that we do need this corporate fellowship. That is something that's fine. But there's also another dynamic, like um, a lot of companies are struggling. When do they open up? Right. It, just some of the statistics you can look up, it's approximately 4.5 million cases that have been worldwide. Over 300,000 people have died from the COVID-19 virus. In the U.S., it's the, the number is, um, I'm not going to try and... It's over 80,000, I think. 1.4, almost 1.5 million people have gotten the coronavirus, and over 300,000 have died from that virus. So the fear factor, we, we talked about that. It's, it's a real thing. So if I was just for a moment, just pretend like I'm at working for a company. When did they decide to actually open their doors? There's a lot of confusion and stuff like that. And so sometimes I'm thinking using a term of like, there's laws, and then there's like um, regulations. This is, this is a policy that still hasn't been figured out. We've never been through a pandemic. And so it's really hard to figure out absolutely what is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So every step we're, we're learning along the way. Yeah, and, and I think that's what we've been doing is information has come our way. We've been adjusting to the right. times. We've been trying to navigate it based upon 
you know, wanting to make sound decisions. Go ahead. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it takes knowledge. Yes. I mean, I the, o- to- the, only, the only one who knows everything about this pandemic is the Lord himself. Right? I wanted to mention one other knowledge. thing, too. We're finite creatures here, so we have to make the best moral decisions we can based on what we know. Um, well, another context, this, is, this kind of flows with the, the last two questions, and I wanted to take a minute to focus on a character from the, the, the third century, um, Cyprian. And so he was in the midst of a pandemic with the Roman Empire. And so they didn't have the, the, the infrastructure that we have, hospitals and whatever. So a, a need is like people were getting infected. And what would they do? They were just throwing them in the streets, family, whatever, just to, to, to abandon them. And the church literally would round them up and care for them at the risk of their own lives. And Cyprian was um, a bishop um, at that time, so was a key leader that was engaging in this. And he, he wrote a couple things that I thought were relevant to, to give you a perspective, but just to, briefly about his background. He came from a very wealthy family. Um, and by his own choice, what he felt called to do, he's, he gave that all away, gave it to the poor, and really wanted to do a life of service. And so he was really passionate about his faith. And so he was trying to encourage people as they were dealing with situations like this of how and why should they be going to, about doing this? And two letters he wrote was, first was called um, On Works and Alms. And just a short quote here, he said, What, dearest brothers, will be the glory of those who labor charitably? How great and high the joy when the Lord begins to number his people in distributing to our merits and good works the promised reward to give heavenly things for, for, for earthly, eternal things for temporal, greater things for small, to present to us to the Father, to him he has restored us by his sanctification to bestow upon us immortality and eternity, to which has renewed us by the the quickening of his blood. And then just goes on from there. So it's really trying to encourage people to do the the things in, in the works for the Lord, encouraging people to do that. The first question, they were struggling, way we're interpreting it, that... I don't feel comfortable in going out and being one of those people. But some were at that place where they felt like they could go and be the, the, the foot, the hands of, of the Lord. And the second one was something called on mortality. How do we deal? I mean, at that time, people were dealing, they could lose their lives. Be, it was illegal to be a Christian at that time. But also this other mortality of, of getting in the way of danger and people, you could get infected and you could die just like them. And what he said was we should consider, beloved brethren, we should reflect constantly that we have renounced the world, and as strangers and foreigners, we sojourn here for a time. Let us embrace the day which assigns us to, to, his, to, to his dwelling, which on our, our being rescued from here and released from the snares of this world restores us to paradise and the kingdom. So it's just a reminder, I'd like to think of it, this is sort of like a boot camp. This is preparing us for the main event. It's not the main event. And people were willing to, to put themselves in, in harm's danger because of that fact. And Jim, you know, uh, thinking about the church and our role in the world, we're to be doing good, we're to be salt and light, when this first started happening, I'll just say, and I said this in last week's sermon on some of these topics, that how about we give the benefit of the doubt that some of the people who were in charge of states and local governments 
were doing the best that they could with the information that they had. Now, as time has gone on, things have changed and information is being debated, and I understand all of that. But how can we best shine? See, it's not, as a believer, it's not always just about my rights. Even as a U.S. citizen, I want the right to worship, and I miss the corporate worship of the church. But how can we best do good in whatever season we find ourselves, whether it's Spurgeon, you know, when uh, people are sick all around him and he goes and visits them an anyway, uh, whether it's an early church father or whatever it may be. So maybe this could help us. And I know this is some of what you guys have been thinking about is to step back and say, Lord, since we are in this time, how can we best shine for you? Yeah. If I may add a few things to that in terms of the worldview perspective of it. We should be asking, uh, given light of our public behavior today, what are some of the ideas that are really pushing us to behave in the way that we are, right? One of the things that we can see with this coronavirus, what's, what has been revealed to us is that culturally we know the whole um, uh, identity politics that was taking up, right? Egalitarianism uh, on all matters. It has trickled down to even this coronavirus issue. If you can lock down New York, what stops you from locking down Los Angeles? Right? Which How, is pretty much happening. <laughs> exactly. Why, why are people in L.A. being treated differently than people in New York or somewhere in North Carolina or wherever? So, so that's what's happening. But with regards to the question of First Amendment, uh, I'm sure the person who is asking this question is definitely an American. But as a church, I think we must also take the responsibility in terms of how can we also think about the global church. How would 315 million Americans... And those who are not Americans would even answer that question. They don't have First Amendment. How would they respond to a question like that or a situation like that? I think we need to be thinking through that as well. But let me also say this. Thank the Lord that you have this First Amendment that other Amen. nations don't. Please preserve it and maintain it. And for that, there is one thing that, that needs to be done, which is you have to speak out that is necessary at this moment. Why? Because there is something called preference falsification, which is basically the act of communicating a preference that differs from one's true preference. We saw that with Trump's election. There were a lot of people supporting Trump, but they were hesitant to come out and make their voices heard. But he got elected. But in the case of coronavirus, there are a lot of Christians who want to open up their church, but they're not speaking out because that's their first preference, but they're hiding it. But remember these things. The problem and the issue here is that those who are making policies are not on your side. That's why you need to make your voices heard as well if you have to go forward and assemble. And that's necessary, I would say. Well, that's, right. And I'd like just to add, that's why I'd like to remind everybody that we're not in the first century anymore. We live in a country where the government is for the people, by the people, and of the people. Amen. That's the way our Christian, the founding fathers of this country who are mainly Christian, maybe some deists, Jefferson. So that's why they, you know, the Christianity, the, the, the Christian ethic had won out. That's what this country was, was basically built on. We've been given an extra uh, grace, if you will, to have that kind of responsibility to actually affect the course of a culture through political means. That's a great gift. We shouldn't, we shouldn't waste it. Amen. Guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here. Um, this next question kind of piggybacks off what we were just, just all talking about. Um, I'm going to try to make this generic uh, as it's, it's 
was sent from somebody in California, but it, it will apply to other states and other parts of the world as well. If, if the governing bodies uh, don't uh, allow, I'll say, churches to hold uh, in-house services, um, how will the church respond? And uh, if they do allow in, uh, in-house services and then decide that there's a spike and we're going to call it off again, how, how is the church, how should we respond in that situation? <laughs> how are you going to respond in that situation, Pastor Michael? Well, first of all, I, I would say, you know, the May 31st date is a date that churches that are united uh, together to reopen the church have decided upon whether or not we get the blessing from the governor. Uh, that's the whole point. It's, uh, it's going to fall on Pentecost Sunday. It's the church standing together to make its voice known. Now, I think every church that is opening its doors and uh, is praying for the governor and praying that his heart would be turned uh, to look at the church in a favorable fashion. And in fact, I was sharing with a group a little bit before we started that some churches have submitted 16-page documents with every detail that they're going to take to be careful. And so, Mike, you know, to go back to the question, uh, of course we're praying that, you know, no cases spike and, and that kind of thing, but we're taking measures as well, just like a big box store would take. And I want to go back to something about essentiality because there was a pastor who said, we're making a mistake if we're just trying for the government to see us as essential as Walmart or Home Depot. In fact, we are beyond that, right? Because we are ministering to the soul. And so for us just to say, well, we want to be treated the same as a box store, whatever that store may be, uh, could be a mistake, according to this one pastor, because it's kind of us settling for being on par with a store instead of being who we really are, which is we're ministering to the deepest needs of the soul. So that's something for us to think about. But uh, I don't want to skirt the question. We've decided to open on May 31, but our prayer is that it will be in concert with the Lord turning the governor's heart favorably. So we'll start with Jim, and then we'll come back down. Um, first of all, may, maybe kind of putting it on a personal note, um, the church needs to be the hands of Christ to these people, and people need that. This is a time when people feel very lonely, um, I, I can't say much of the details, but one of my students, um, I have a blessing of teaching at multiple venues, including at universities, including at churches, who had a very difficult situation. And this is a time she did not need to be alone, and she felt very alone. And so that's a real dynamic that's out there. That's part of the ministry of the church that, that has to be engaged with, with this. And so... That's one thought. I, I won't mention the company, so this is the next point, but a company which you would be very familiar with, but I don't necessarily need to point out a company name, said that we're going to open. And what did the, the government do? They said, okay, they gave them the ability to do that. They, they actually, like I said, maybe the idea of a policy, or we've never done this before, we have to sort of engage in, in all these different sectors of working together and say, hey, this is our plan. You mentioned people submitting a very detailed plan. Um, others, I, I, I know at least one couple going to a church that says, we're just going to wait for the government. That, that's a perfectly fine alternative, but it's one alternative. And like Pastor Michael, the, one of the things I want people to be thinking about is are, are they diligently searching, searching the, the scripture? 
what are the theological premises, and how do I come up with this, this argument for my congregation and stuff like that. Each one of us that the Lord is calling us to, to go through that process. And so those are things that I would want people to be thinking about, focusing on process and how I come to that decision and think of the realities. Jacob. I think, uh, first of all, we need to recognize that when we talk about authorities, inherently with their office, they are not meant to be our enemies. They are meant to be instruments in the hands of God. And as people who know the Lord, we have a greater responsibility to pray for them. We must be praying, and this is a pleading that I'm going to make to all our listeners, that pray for your magistrates uh, in the law office or high office. Pray that the kingdom of God may come to their offices, into their mind, that they would come up with wise decisions that would impact everyone. Um, with regards to uh, should we actually go ahead and start our churches, this is what I would say. We need to recognize that God was not surprised with what, what had happened, right, with this coronavirus. And he'll not be surprised with what's going to happen in future. You're listening to Navigating the Times Part 2 on Walk in Truth our recent live-streamed 633 event. If you'd like to watch the event, subscribe to our Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Visit walkintruth.com and click on Church. That's walkintruth.com and click on Church. And make sure you click the bell after you subscribe to our YouTube channel because then you'll be notified every time Pastor Michael goes live, like this Sunday morning at 10. So join us. Again, you can find the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel when you visit walkintruth.com and click on church. Now, come back tomorrow for part three of our special 633 event called Navigating the Times. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.